hosting the Global Leadership Summit here, 152,000 church leaders worldwide will attend the Global Leadership Summit. And we have the enormous privilege of being uh, one of the flagship sites in the UK. We've done this for many years now. And this is a time when we really do need to encourage and equip our leaders. Uh, you know, we are so grateful to the likes of Roger Chisnell and so grateful for, for men of God who've, who've just stood on values and principles, men and women of God, forgive me, ladies, who have stood on points of principle for the sake of the king and his kingdom. And, and it's at times like this when there is a lot of, a lot of flux and indecision and, and, and we're surrounded by issues, but you know, which way, way should we tackle this? We need good leadership. And so the Global Leadership Summit is something we give back to the Church of Jesus Christ. We create an, a fabulous and hospitable uh, environment here where we can welcome these leaders in and then we bless them in any way we can through prayer ministry, through information, through engagement and conversation and networking. We do all of that in order to build up the church of Jesus Christ. We've got something like 350 leaders from all over the southeast of England booked in for this coming weekend. There will be more because there always are those that turn up at the door. But we have an opportunity because every one of those leaders represents a dozen, uh, 40, 120, 220, and so on and so forth. Literally thousands of people will be impacted by what we do in this coming weekend. I, I, every year I get excited and humbled by what we as a, a local church are enabled to do by way of serving the wider body. So I, I, I want to commend that to you. Please pray about that Friday and Saturday. Uh, thank you if you're part of the service team here, the volunteers. We've got 50 or 60 volunteers turning up at the crack of dawn to make this a, an exceptional event. Thank you ahead of time, guys. It's always hard work. It's always challenging, but it's always worthwhile. But also, I would just say to you, if... If you find that when you look at your holiday allowance, you've got a day spare that you don't know what to do with, you know, uh, it would be a great thing, a great investment of your time and energy and money just to come to the conference on Friday and Saturday as a delegate, as a delegate. And uh, as a member of this church, you, you get a concessionary rate. I think it's, I don't know, 35 quid or something. Um, but, you know, do please come. You're not excluded. You are more than welcome, you know. And uh, we would love to, to host you and welcome you for that. Now let's just pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we are seeking your kingdom. Lord, we, we seek the king who is the very heart of the kingdom. And Lord, I pray now that as I uh, share your word and as we consider uh, your word to us, may we, Lord, know your presence and affirmation. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, talking about leaders, it, it prompts me actually just to, um, well, to, to affirm and brag on or celebrate our own leaders here. And uh, I, I am actually humbled and a little teary about the leaders we have here. Fliss and I came here yesterday and we were here all morning with the children's ministry leaders, 50, 60 people, and they're all out there now doing their thing. And, and we had a great time of training and equipping. It was wonderful. It was so encouraging, wasn't it? And it was Fliss's birthday as well, but, you know, wanted to come. So God bless you, darling. Thank you for that. Enough. And, um, but, you know, 
I was just struck at the incredible caliber that, and, and the time and the sacrifice that our leaders give. And, 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 you know, okay, this is going to embarrass you a little bit, but if you are a leader, if you're a home group leader, a ministry leader, a freshman feed, or whatever it is, whatever ministry you're involved in, would you mind just standing up now? Let, we want to applaud you. Let's just celebrate you. Just stand up where you are. Great. And some of are here. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. Bless you guys. You may be seated. We're so well served by our leaders, and I want to tell you a little something. When uh, Fliss and I got back from sabbatical a month ago, um, obviously we were, th we were thrilled to be back. We honestly were. There was no hesitation. We're thrilled to be back. And uh, that first week, though, was a, was a bit of a steep learning curve. We had, obviously, meetings with all the ministry heads and the staff members. And on the Monday, my first day in, I obviously met with my pastoral staff. And, but also I met with uh, our, our business staff, and Jill Yon heads, is our business manager. And um, before lunch, Jill sat me down and said, OK, well, this is what's been going on while you were away. And I hoped that she was going to tell me, not that you need to really know this, I hoped that she was going to tell me that the roof was fixed because last winter this roof, which is only a few years old, was leaking like a sieve and it was horrible. And I'd left saying, please guys, make sure we fix that. Well anyway, the bottom line without going into all the detail was that uh, we still hadn't fixed the roof. In fact, we needed 20,000 pounds worth of emergency repairs, which may or may not fix it. And what's more, the power problems, we've been having some power problems, uh, were going to cost £30,000. And, and that was to, to actually turn this into a bit of an eco-flagship where everything is LED, everything is kind of, all the stage lights and the heating and everything is all, uh, you know, eco-friendly stuff. You know, obviously we'd had consultants come in and they just said, yeah, what you need is a great big transformer in a car park, we'll get some power in there for you. You know, and we thought, yeah, I'm not sure we really want to go that way, you know. It's just like, ladle on the power, you know. And we thought, yeah, interesting. Um, we just thought it was responsible to go a more expensive route and just turn this thing into a place where we're actually caring for the, the planet in our little way and, and doing this thing. Well, anyway, the long and the short of it all was all that, that those two things were going to cost £50,000. On top of that, Jill said, uh, I'm sorry, Chris, uh, but we're facing a £20,000 budget deficit. And, uh, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is great. I wish I'd not come home now, you know. And so clearly, you know, that all sorts of budget restraints have been put in place, but, uh, you know, the, the directors and, and uh, the staff, of course, those in the know just knew that uh, I would have to speak about this at some point. So I went away and prayed about this, and I felt that the Lord said to me, that whilst I need to obviously teach you guys, and the last time, you know, to my shame, I talked about money was in March 2010, so that's way too long ago. So, you know, I have to bear some responsibility here, so sorry about that. But I, I really did feel like the Lord said, you know, speak to the leaders quietly, don't make a great song and dance out of it, um, you know, just speak to the leaders, make them aware of the issue, and ask them to take care of the roof and the electrics. So at our first leaders meeting, which is about 48 hours after we got back, and it really was the last thing, to be honest, I wanted to do, I found it quite a difficult meeting. Um, those who were there were very kind and said that I, I, I did okay, but I was not quite what I had in mind for that first glorious reunion. 
But I just said to them, guys, we need 50 grand to sort this out. And I feel like the Lord is saying that you and I, the leaders, and so here's Felicia, my pledge. I'm, we're going to be first, but the leaders are going to lead, and we're going to do it. And so over the last two or three weeks, unbeknownst to you, the leaders have been taking care of business so that we can do what we do here. And uh, to date, I am absolutely thrilled to say that we've had 52,974 pounds come in on the leaders' offering. They have sorted it. And if you're one of those leaders, I honor you, and it is a privilege to be working with people like you. Wonderful. They have taken care of business, so I honor them. Thank you. Give them a little round of applause. They're kingdom seekers. They're kingdom seekers. They're seeking first the kingdom of God. I love that. You know, all this has, you know, as I've realized I'm going to have to talk about money, I, I, I've actually gone back to basics because I have taught, those of you who've been walking this journey with us for, for a number of years will know that Usually, or it used to be, that I would teach on tithing, the 10% thing, for, uh, in, the, in the new year and in the autumn. And I did it twice a year for many a long year. But there's a lot of debate, a lot of interest, a lot of discussion about this whole business of money in the church and all the rest of it. And of course, there's always those who say, you know, that, you know the church is always banging on about money, you know, and won't have anything to do with this because that's their perception. I mean, the truth is, you know, check it out in the archives, 20, March 2010. Uh, that's just not the case here. And actually, I've probably been remiss. But the truth of the matter is we're seeking the kingdom of God. And that, as I have studied, as I've gone back to this thing, as I've looked at all the current arguments and the debates on the internet and all the rest of it and read articles. And I, on Wednesday, I got a whole bunch of pastors together and I asked them what they did. And it was very interesting. Some were really hard line and others were really kind of loosey-goosey. And it was kind of fascinating and well good-natured discussion. But as I read this, I, I, I realized that there are two or three principles that are relevant and active today. Two or three things that we can say with certainty. You know, they appear, they crop up in the Old Testament, but they're true of the New Testament too. And, and, and they are valid and, and, and applicable for now. And really, this, this part of this little teaching of Jesus is that we call it the Sermon on the Mount. There's, there's a little passage in that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. For some of you, this will be news. For others, it'll be you know, written on your heart in some ancient little kind of um, uh, chorus that you learned at your mother's knee. But let's have that. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, 33, please. Thank you. But seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Now, those of you who know that passage will know that Jesus is encouraging us not to worry and to chase after all these things that, that keep, you know, that, that, we, that we hold much, so much store by and things that, you know, consume us about our lives and, and, and getting on and holding things together and feeding our kids and clothing. And then none of them are bad things. Please don't mishear me. But what Jesus actually says is, yeah, you know, your father knows you need these things. But we need to see our lives from an eternal perspective. We need to see our lives as kingdom seekers, those who seek the king, Jesus, who have set our paths 
on the path of pilgrimage and discipleship who bear the name as Christians. We need to see ourselves as that being the, the first call on our lives, the first call. And that really gives me the opportunity to commend to you the first principle that is trans Old Testament and New Testament, that is utterly current, and that's the principle of first fruits. Now that is a rather ancient sort of agricultural kind of terminology. I, I thought about, you know, buzzing it up and making it all sort of contemporary in 21st century, but I think it's gonna stay. The principle of first fruits, and basically it is that whatever we get, God has first call, not last call, first call. You know, I have, I've honestly been challenged with this, my, about this myself, and, and listen, I've made small but significant changes the way we do our financing because of this principle of first fruits. And basically, in an agricultural society, as the crop began to ripen and as the first precious things after months of waiting for harvest, as they began to emerge, so you gathered them off and you offered them to our God. And that's, of course, what Harvest Festival is about, which many schools and churches are celebrating even now. But this principle of God having the first fruits of, of whatever it is we get, the first bite of the cherry, actually is something that is thoroughly New Testament, thoroughly 21st century. And I say it because as a father of four, married for nearly 40 years, with four lovely grandchildren, I know that along the way, sometimes it's been, oh, I've got to pay that bill, oh, I'll pay that one, oh, we, and we really want to do that, we really want to do that. Boy, we're going to work and save for that. And Oh, there's the offering basket, oh my gosh. Uh, have you got any change, darling? And it's like God gets last call, the leftovers, the scraps under the table. It's not the way it should be. God should get first call, the principle of first fruits. So whether you're gonna tithe or not tithe, whether you're gonna give this or a lot or a little, or whether you're gonna do it, give it to the, the storehouse, the community of believers, the local church, or whether you're gonna give it to the donkey sanctuary, whatever, may it be the first fruits, an act of worship. You shall love, the first commandment is this, O hero Israel, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The principle of first fruits. He gets first shout. You know, as, as part of this, as I was thinking about this, I, I found myself thinking about uh, the scriptures and, and, and visiting it afresh. And I found myself coming across what one might almost call a Sunday school story, and it isn't, and it's wrong that we should consider it such. But I want to read and, and just talk about the, the parable of Zacchaeus, not the parable of Zacchaeus, the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. So if you've got a Bible, please turn it up. We'll, we'll throw it up on the screen too, so you can follow along, and I'm just going to teach out of this. This is... An extraordinary story which illustrates this point well in Zacchaeus' first response to Jesus, his Savior, but also that it takes us on a step. Let's just read the story and then I'll unpack it a little bit and you'll get what I'm meaning. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. 
And he wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, and when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to the house and as the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of everything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This guy, Zacchaeus, some interesting little bits of background here. It says here in the text that he was a chief tax collector. Do you know, I don't think I clocked that until this last week when I was studying this in the run-up to this sermon. I always knew he was a tax collector. But I didn't realize he was a chief tax collector. Now, to become a chief tax collector in this culture and society, you didn't answer a, an advert in The Guardian or something like that and you know, send, in for a, send your CV in and then get an interview and then if you were fortunate, go on to second interviews and then they follow up references, blah de blah de blah That was not the way you became a chief tax collector. Anybody want to tell me how you became a chief tax collector? It was all about bribery and corruption. See, the, Roman, the way the Romans did it was they set a levy on a region and then they put out to tender, laughingly called, the responsibility of gathering those taxes. Only what it was was that it was laced with backhanders because it was incredibly lucrative to be a chief tax collector. Because provided the Roman authorities got their levy, which they had assessed the region for, they didn't mind what you did in terms of topping it up. That's why the tax collectors were so vehemently hated. It wasn't that they were just doing something that was a necessary evil. Someone's got to play for the aqueduct, you know. It was because they did it and did it with pleasure and with bells on it. And Zacchaeus would have been hated in that society for the fact that he was a gangster. He would have henchmen. People would call him names. It says in the text that he was short. That's why he had to climb up a tree in the first place. There would have been all sorts of derogatory comments. His kids would have been bullied at school if they went to school. It would have just been a mere enmity between the chief tax collector, his henchmen, and the community. But there was something else happening in Zacchaeus. And I have enjoyed this story and I've savored this story all the more since that little visit to Israel. And some of you will remember how affected I was and I, I still don't know whether it really translates but I'm going to have another run at it. I was coming down the Mount of Olives and uh, walking down the Pilgrim's Way and this there was this great mob of Eastern European, I think they were Ukrainian pilgrims. And they were all hovering around a flight of steps that went down underground into 
this sepulcher, this place where Mary, the mother of Jesus, was supposed to have been buried. And by this time in my, my, my week, you will recall, those of you who heard me talking a little bit about it, I was doing less of the sightseeing and, and more of the people watching because the Lord had spoken to me about where his treasure was and his treasure was you guys. You know, I'd done the being wowed by gold leaf and icons and magnificent and jaw-dropping it is, but God had already spoken to me about his treasure, gave me Psalm 16, was the people of the land. And from that moment on, I found myself watching the pilgrims and I found it so moving. So there I am in this place of people watching with a purpose. The Lord showing me the, the passion and his compassion for these pilgrims. And there we are then in this great mob of Ukrainians doing their thing, doing the, 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 the tour and all being swept down into this underground, dark, dingy sepulcher where Mary was supposed to be buried. And suddenly four people caught my eye. Thank you. Two woefully overdressed, in my opinion, ladies tottering on impossibly high heels, all wearing desi designer clothes laden up with all manner of gold and jewelry, talking very loudly. And their two surly husbands also talking very loudly with nasty Rolexes and what have you. And the Lord just kind of whispered in my ears, and make of it what you will. But the Lord just said mafiosa, or the word was mafiosa, gangster. Gangsters on holiday doing the, doing the tour. And they were loud and they were brash and I didn't understand a word they were saying, but there was something about them that just I found difficult, to be honest. So I thought, well, I'm here. So I, I followed the crowd down this thing, and I was actually ahead of these guys. And I walked down, and the women went past me further on down. And I turned to look up the steps. And these two guys were very, just a few paces behind me. And as I turned around them, I saw them turn. The guy in the red T-shirt and the guy in the kind of rugger thing. And they were quiet. Their wives, bless their hearts, were yakking on down the steps. But these two mafiosa, they had turned and they were looking off to a shrine. Off to a shrine. I, I don't even know what it was about. This guy here with the beard, you might just want to see him. He was, a, he was a Franciscan priest, an Orthodox priest. He was giving something out. But these two guys, I saw their face, and I saw it, I don't know whether you can see it, but I just saw a longing there. I got it so wrong, I just thought these guys were just there for the ride so that they could say they did that. But in that moment, I snapped a picture, and for me it caught it, whether it did it for you or not, but there was a longing in these guys' eyes. It took my breath away. Even these guys who I had judged and assessed rightly or wrongly at the top of the stairs, these guys, for a split second, dropped the pretense, dropped the noise, dropped all the braggadocery, dropped the rest of it, and there was a kingdom seeker. I found it incredibly moving. 
And you see, Zacchaeus, the gangster, the chief tax collector, was a kingdom seeker. Didn't look like one. But there was something deep inside him, like these guys who for a few moments get in touch with that yearning, that deep, deep, if only I could be clean. If only I could be saved. And in a moment, this moment was broken. The wives came up. They had already been down the bottom. They were coming back up again. There's an altercation. They turn and carry on up. And as soon as they get out into the light, out with the, the ciggies and out with the, the Dunhill gold lighters, they're lighting up and it's all big and brash. And, oh, come on, there's the next. I didn't understand a word of it, but I'd seen that. I'd seen this moment. And it was a Zacchaeus moment. Jesus saw it in him. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. I'm going to stay with you today, mate. Come on. Zacchaeus skins his knees coming down out of the tree. And they go to his house. And Zacchaeus is overwhelmed that Jesus, the king of kings, should come to his house. Now, the story goes on, of course. If it stopped there, it would be enough. But actually, it goes on. Verse 7, all the people saw this, and they began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Well, I knew that Jesus guy didn't really have any spiritual discernment. He doesn't know who that guy is, blah de blah de blah Yitta, 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 chatta, chatta, chatta. Gossip, gossip, gossip. And I probably would have been one of them. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times. Now, some of that is to do with the Mosaic law of restitution. When you're wanting to put a wrong right, there was a formula for restitution. But Zacchaeus goes way past that. You know, if, you, if you've done any reading about the whole subject of money and giving, and by the way, money was Jesus' second favorite subject. The first was this kingdom of God, and the next was money. But if you've done any contemporary reading, and I've done a lot over the last two or three weeks, believe me, I've been on the internet and reading articles after articles after articles, as I said, discussing it with the church pastors this week, which was good, as I've done all of that thing, one of the words that keeps cropping up is God is looking for generosity. In the New Testament, God is looking for generosity. It's not about the law, it's about a generous heart. All we have is God's, and God is looking for generosity. Wrong, I beg to differ. Didn't get it immediately. For a while, for a week or two there, I was thinking, yeah, I'm trying to sort of relearn all this stuff. And yeah, generosity, that's the thing. I've got to tell the people to be generous. But something didn't quite hit with me. And then one of my friends, Chris Short, the pastor of the uh, Park Street Baptist Church, we'd had a long discussion about this, along with many other people. He texted me and he said, Chris, I was driving back and suddenly I got it. 
It doesn't say in the, in the New Testament, Jesus doesn't teach that we should be generous. Although generosity is a great thing, and if you're a generous person, God bless you, thank you. A New Testament principle, the second principle, is the principle of sacrifice. Thank you, James. The first one is first fruits. God gets the first bite of the cherry. And the second principle about New Testament giving is that it should make you suck your teeth. You should go, ah. It should cost you. It being Fliss's birthday this weekend, uh, we went up to town on Friday night and went and saw a show and had a meal out, and it was lovely. And this guy selling the big issue and comes up to me. I never quite know what to do with these guys because the big issue, in my personal humble opinion, is such a rag. It's not the guy I don't like. It's the big issue I'm not keen on. But anyway, he comes up to me and, uh, and he says, big issue, big issue, you know, kind of clowns around. And I said, you know what? I'll tell you what. I'll give you the money for one, but do you mind if, I, if you keep the, re, if, keep the magazine? He says, what? Really? I said, yeah. So I felt around in my pocket. I had a great handful of change. I'd been on the tube and all the rest of it. And I was trying to count. I couldn't see quite in the light. What it, and I said, oh, here you go, man. He says, you know the magazine? I said, no. He says, wow, great, you know. And I felt generous. And my wife looked at me and thought, I got a generous husband. <laughs> no? Oh, well, I live in hope, you know. <laughs> and I'd given the bloke £2.37, you know. Generous man. You see, being generous is so subjective. One person's generosity is quite frankly another person's what? But every single one of us, whatever our circumstances, can make a sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom. And that's what God is looking for. New Testament giving is always sacrificial. It always costs us something. It's not the small change in our pocket. Yeah, here you go, £2.37, I'm your man. New Testament giving is always sacrificial. And the story doesn't finish there. We're, we're bringing the thing home now. I'm bringing the thing home. Jesus responds to this. You see, what Zacchaeus has done, he's not just fulfilled the law. He's not just been generous. He's actually moved beyond in his first response to the love of God, a love that he didn't know he qualified for. His first response is to give, but it's not generous. It's sacrificial. This is going to cost him. He's going to feel the difference. This will affect his lifestyle. His commitment to the kingdom, to being a kingdom seeker, which is why he shinned up the tree in the first place, is going to change his lifestyle. The first fruit of his newfound relationship with Jesus is to give. And the second is that the giving he makes is sacrificial. And Jesus responds. The crowd out there are still muttering about Jesus hanging out with the wrong type of people. 
But Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too, gangsters, <laughs> this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. You know, that, little, that last little thing, for a long time, many of you know this, Luke 19.10, it's one of those things I hope is tattooed on my heart. I've always longed that this is going to be a church that seeks and saves the lost. I'm, I'm proud to say, you know, you can pick up one of the new financial reports on the information, new information desk back then. If we run out, we'll get some more out next week. I'm sure it'll be on the website too. I was looking through this last thing on Friday, and we've uh, various pie charts and all sorts of things in here, but one of the things we did was that we, we broke up our income last year into the three tabs that we have for this thing, gather, grow, give. And I thought, well, how much are we spending on gathering? How much are we spending on doing the Jesus thing of seeking and saving the lost? Do you know we spent over 330,000 pounds in ministry and, and, and opportunity and, and facilitating. It was the, the main thing we did. We invested in being outward looking, a gathering church. And I am so proud forgive me, of you guys, that this place isn't looking inward, it's looking outward. I am so proud to be part of you. And your sacrificial, kingdom-seeking, Jesus-centered hearts. I'm so proud of those leaders. I would, if it wouldn't embarrass them, I would want to shout it from the steeples. They took care of business and did it quietly and efficiently. God bless you guys. And may this church always be a church that like Jesus is looking outward, looking to seek and to save the lost. I'm fully aware, believe me, I prayed about it. Just as Dan brings the worship team back up and we finish. I'm fully aware that you may be here for the first time this Sunday and you think, oh my gosh, this is a great morning to have come. I'm sorry. But I want to just address you very particularly at the moment because it may be that you are here because actually you feel lost. You may feel lost for reasons you don't know why and you've always felt lost. Well, I want to say you've come to the right place because I believe this is a church that honors Jesus and where the, where the church honors Jesus, Jesus is present and where Jesus is, there is freedom and Jesus will connect with you and Jesus will embrace you and Jesus will welcome you even if you're a gangster. But I also feel this, that you may be lost for other reasons. You may be feeling lost today. You may be in church today having not come here for many along or ever before because of some crisis in your life, like the, the family member, an extended family member. He's not part of my immediate family, but extended family who rang me this week in tears. He has a business. He's been fiddling his taxes for years. This is a nice guy, he's a great guy, he's fun to be with. 
but he's been fiddling his taxes. And the tax office has mounted an investigation. I don't know whether it's right or not, but what he told me was that he's looking not, back, not just at six years back taxes he has to pay, because they only roll it back six years, but apparently it's 100% fine. He's broken. He's losing the house. He is desperate because of his own sin. He feels lost. And I, I don't know how to advise him. Or you may be lost like the young man who, on Tuesday as I was leaving church, five o'clock, looking forward to going home, crossing the car park, and someone hails me from the other side of the street, and I don't know who it is, and I, I go to the gate, and it's a young man who we had some dealings with, and not particularly happy dealings with, I have to say. And after a brief altercation, he says he's getting Stanley, and he whips out a knife, a Stanley knife. I make it to the car before he's cut me or anything. We call the police. The police take it very serious. 11 o'clock at night, I'm still giving statements. No harm was done. There is one lost young man out there. But the reality is, we probably can't help him now. Because the police have taken it so seriously, they're saying, if he so much shows his nose in this vicinity, we are to call 999. They said, we will not mind if it's a false alarm. This is too serious. That's one lost young man, and I shall pray for him. You may be feeling lost for all sorts of reasons you know about or you don't know about. But if that's you, this Jesus, who we seek here, this Jesus can fix you on the inside. You may still have to go through stuff on the outside. But as Zacchaeus found out, if you ask him, this Jesus will come and live with you. Let's stand and pray. Lord, we want to say thank you to you because you've gone to extraordinary lengths, lengths that we barely glimpse to rescue us. And you have paid without any hesitation the ultimate price for our life and liberty. And Lord, we pray that you would you would visit us and that this place would be a place of sanctuary, a place of revival where that which is dead comes alive. And begin with me. Begin with me, Lord. And we've all got our opinions and our strengths and our weaknesses. We've all got those things that we can tolerate and those things that we do not tolerate. But Lord God, we're gathered together as your people. And we seek more than a comforter, although comforter you are. We seek more than a friend, though friend you are. We seek a savior and a king. So come, Lord Jesus, come.